The Tour Backswing Show features a serious, well-researched story from the PGA Tour in the 1960s or 1970s. The story shares some DNA with the tournament being currently played this week on the PGA Tour. If you are into this kind of thing, sign up for the Tour Backspin weekly email newsletter at tourbackspin.com or on substack.com where you can read it for free. No sign-up required. The newsletter also features the famous What Hole Is It contest, something fun from the world of golf off the internet, a curated Spotify playlist, and a vintage golf ad. Also, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for news and features from Tour Backspin. Welcome to the Tour Backspin Show. I'm your host, Larry Bosch, and I'm glad you've joined us for our round this week. It's a major week with the PGA Championship at Southern Hills, and have we got a treat in store for you. We talk with Al Guyberger, the winner of the PGA in 1966 at Firestone Country Club, and Dave Stockton, the winner in 1970 at Southern Hills, and again in 1976 at Congressional Country Club. We talk about them winning the CBS Golf Classic, playing Firestone Country Club, the par 3 contest at the Masters, Spalding Golf Equipment, and why they may be the reason there is a one-ball rule today. We also talk about the 59 that Mr. Guyberger shot in the second round at the 1977 Danny Thomas Memphis Classic. It was the first sub-60 round shot on the PGA Tour. His partner that day? Mr. Stockton. Sit back and enjoy a conversation between two good friends, and then be sure to check out our Tour Backspin newsletter, which will take you back to the PGA Championship in 1970 at Southern Hills. You can find it on Substack, where you can read the entire newsletter for free. Okay, let's get going. We're on the tee. How you doing, Berger? Hey, Dave. How you doing? I'm doing fine. I want to thank you both for taking the time to, to talk with me today. I'm going to try to cover some things that you probably haven't been asked about in other interviews. But let's start with uh, how you two got together out on the tour, how Stan Wood um, uh, arranged for Mr. Guyberger to take Mr. Stockton under his wing. Uh, when uh, you came out, you came out, uh, Mr. Stockton, in 1964? I played, yes. I played the last two tournaments in 1964. Uh-huh. And if I remember correctly, you made uh, the cut in the last tournament of 1964, which automatically got you into the first tournament of 1965. Is that correct? Right. The first term was Almond and Open, where I finished 10th. I thought there was nothing to it, but I didn't <laughs> average about 23 putts around it to, to finish that. But then, I yeah, I did go down to the Cajun Classic and drove down there with the Lotz brothers in a car and made the cuts, which got me in the LA Open. So it uh, that was a very meaningful thing, but then the, obviously what followed was a couple of years of tough times. And uh, with Alan's help, I slowly learned how to, you know, at least navigate myself around the tour. Did you say you won the uh, you played tenth in the Almaden Open? Yeah, my first tournament. Yes. Yeah. Guess who won that? Did you win it? I think I, that was. I won the Almond Open when it wasn't official on the tour, and then the next year they made it official. And I won that. I beat Dutch Harrison. You're kidding. <laughs> yeah. All I remember is I beat Howie Johnson in the last round. 
who tried to heckle me on about the second hole about my putting. So. <laughs> Um, so, when did you two start uh, spending the most time together? Well, I pestered him because of, uh, I had a lot of respect for him. Obviously, we um, coming from USC, he graduated in 59, the year I graduated from high school, so I came right in behind him. And uh, yeah, people, people sure. think Dave and I played together at USC. We really didn't. I, I left, graduated, and Dave came in. Yeah, I was. I just totally. Alan didn't leave me much in the in the pantry when he left because we'd we'd won fifty three. They had won fifty three or four straight matches, and <laughs> I, I I was a freshman and I'm ineligible. And we go to Arizona, University of Arizona, for a quadrangular, and uh, playing Arizona, and Arizona State, and UCLA, and uh, I I got to drive the car and got ten cents a mile from Stan Wood to drive down there and. Uh, it was hilarious because uh, we go out the first day and I shoot 66 playing with the coaches and the best anybody else on the ST team shot was 73 and they got beat by all three teams. So we obliterated Allen's record of 53 or four matches in a row that SC had won. To, we went to 0-3 right off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we had a, yeah, because we had a good team there. We tried to uh, stockpile, you might say. We were trying to beat Houston, who had done, they would win every year, and uh, we uh, uh, had we had Bud Bradley and Bob McAllister and Bobby Howe. McAllister played on the tour one once or twice, and uh, Bud Bradley never did turn professional, but was a great amateur. And Bobby Howe, was, nobody really knows about him around L.A., but he was really a good player, was L.A. City champ, and, and we we had some good tweets. And Don Thornton, he was the all-service uh, all Army, European Army something. Anyway, Don Thornton was really a very good player. We tried, but we, we choked, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what year did you guys first team up for the CBS Golf Classic? 60, hmm. 67. Oh, 60. yeah. It's hard to figure it out because you... It was 67 or 60... Well, we won what? We won, yeah, we won 67, 68, and we, we were, then we finished second, where we, we finished, uh, we lost the semis in the next two years. What was the last year that uh, the CBS Golf Classic was conducted? What was it? 70, 71, something like that? Yeah, I was going to say, did it, did it go on after we got beat? I don't <laughs> I know, not that I mean we had any oh, good no. it, but I mean, I don't remember being played after that. No, because I just remember we won the first few times we played, and then we got to the semis the next two times. So, uh, Oh, we got beat? Yeah, we won, and we won, and then we were in the semis. I didn't, did we play another time? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out. I can go try and find the trophy somewhere, stuck in a, in a closet somewhere. I it's have no it's idea. the strangest I think it's in my my warehouse. It's the strangest tournament because it's it's lost to history. If you Google uh, CBS Golf Classic, about the only thing that comes up is the um, film of the final match in '64 that I did with um, Tony Lima and Bobby Nichols playing Bruce Devlin and Bob Charles. Other than that, you can't find any history on it. Really? Well, yeah, I didn't know that. Oh. 
Well, if Alan had, had a good partner, then you'd probably they'd, they'd still be recognized. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. Oh, 60. Now, four, oh, the, oh, the last one you say, because when did they start? They must have started in, because I played once out in Palm Springs. Right. And then they went to Firestone. Uh, and then I don't remember. And then played there. We played there, what, two, that's three or four years. And I don't, I don't remember it being played anymore after that. No, right. I don't either. I don't either. Um, so that hard because the year you play is not the year they show it. Right. So then, yeah. So it's hard to tell a story, make any sense. But well, when they got together for the, the filming of the matches, were those done with everybody in town, and they did it uh, day after day, or did it take a couple of weeks to film those? Yeah. Uh, it was two mm-hmm. weeks. Back they do one. Yeah, they do one bracket the first week. And the next bracket, and the winners of the first bracket had to come back. Does that make sense, Dave? Yeah. Dave yeah. and I are going to have to check on each other. <laughs> no. And it wasn't, we weren't back there more than a week. But uh, you're right. If you'd won the first half, then you got you had to come back to play the second half. The, the hilarious part is when we filmed the thing, a lot of times you'd be watching it, and the, the front side would be sunshine and beautiful. <laughs> we always over an hour for lunch. Then go out to the tenth hole and play one like you just kept on playing, and you'd have a totally different day sometimes. <laughs> I mean, it'd be clear sun and then it'd be rain the next half or whatever it was. It was because it was uh, in the fall there in Firestone. You never knew what kind of weather you were going to get anyway. And that so. I, again, the first year you won was '68. Yeah, yes. uh, it, that was our Firestone. Yeah, yeah. The year before, I think they were in Palm Springs. Yes, and uh, La Quinta. Uh, yes, La Quinta. I played with Tommy Aaron, I think. And then they were switched to Firestone, and everybody said, get yourself a good partner. Uh, <laughs> you're Firestone, because I won PGA, American Golf Classic there. I had a lot of high finishes, lost the playoff, World Series of Golf. But I'd, I'd really done well at Firestone. Everybody said, get yourself a good partner. And that's why I want to verify this story. Dave came up and kind of forced me to, to play with him. <laughs> I didn't know much about Dave. That was that was a classic time. You should have seen Burger because I'd won Colonial. He, yeah, that's, he, that's what I was going to say. You won of, Colonial, right? One of the one of the biggest shocks to Alan was that I would always have Alan. I'd play practice rounds, obviously, and then I'd ask him how you played certain courses. He didn't have much luck at Colonial or hadn't had him, but. When I got one of the, I got the Champions Choice invitation to play, and Alan and I played practice round. He's explaining to me where I should be hitting the ball and doing all this stuff, and I end up winning the tournament. Well, as soon as I <laughs> won the tournament, then I I just bugged the living hell out of him. He says, you know, now we can play together. And he, you should have seen him trying to backtrack to figure out all. Because you know, I had all these people telling me go get a good partner. Well, nobody really knew Dave knew much about his game and he kept telling me we're going to play in cbs and then he wins the tournament and he comes okay we're good we're ready to play and he goes you went to frank trickinian didn't you oh yeah so yeah. frank came to me and said are you sure you want to play with stockton <laughs> <laughs> yep well he was quite the character uh um do you have any any good frank trickinian stories oh boy 
he was the he was the best. I mean, he was he was unbelievable, and he knew how to run it. And I can see I didn't know he'd gone to Allen, but I can see him doing that because he wanted to make sure these teams were good. I should ask Allen because some I recall that you'd have been an eight eight matches and you'd won one or something. Is that yeah. right? Right. Yeah. Uh, because that would tell you how many years they played it before you and I played. But you yeah. you played at least eight matches and only won one. Yeah, it wasn't very good. Yeah. <laughs> and and then they knew they were going to Firestone. I I said uh, when because they were going to Firestone, everybody kind of said, "Oh man, that's your course." Because I'd won American Golf Classic, PGA. Almost won the World Series of Golf. I had a lot of high finishes. Firestone was they thought was my course, and then then Dave kind of forces me to play with him in the uh, in the CBS Golf Classic. And then you end up signing up. You play in that thing in Europe. I, I played in the Alcan at St Andrews. Yeah, yeah. He gets into the Alcan, and he yeah. And I then they put our first match. Our first match was. The day after you finished in, in Ireland, right? Yeah, St. Andrews. I flew I flew all night to get here, get back there and I I was I was so nervous and I go <laughs> as I remember I birdied like five out of the first seven holes and wow. I'm not sure I the hole after that. You know. <laughs> well, I, I said to myself, Well, you really you're an idiot. First first you got somebody that's not sure if that was a good pick for me and then and then he ends up uh, getting in the Alcan tournament over there. Then they end up putting us the first match after the final round in Alcan. Does that make the uh, next day? Well, yep. It was crazy. And and Dave flies flying in. So I'm thinking, okay, if I'm going to win, we're going to win that first match. I got to carry it. And I'm, I'm with that mindset. I'm pumped up for it. And Turns out, Dave. I didn't know he was. You were. You said you were pumping yourself up and down on the airplane, running up and down the aisles, getting ready and getting yourself. And he came out there, like you said, you birdied a whole bunch there, right out of the box. Yeah, but I, I know good and well. I didn't make any of the next, the next seven or eight holes till we won the match. I never helped the hole. Uh, I don't remember. I just remember we, you carried the match. And then the next day, I think we played the next day, you had a letdown. I carried the match. <laughs> Does that remember right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Firestone to me, it was one of the longest golf courses I've ever seen. And I, I was, I was, I had the ability to be a short hitter and a fairly crooked hitter. And uh, <laughs> my only, once I got on the green, there was no way in hell I was going to miss a putt because those were the best greens I'd ever seen. I mean, uh -huh. They were perfect, so it was just it was a long, hard golf course. Not by today's standards, but certainly in those standards. Yeah. In those days, it was the What's monster. in the fall? That was the monster. And what I was going to say, Dave just mentioned it there. He loved the putting there, and you know I knew he was a good putter, but I wasn't thinking of that. And as the matches went, and Dave is holding putt after putt, or it looked like I. Uh, he was going to make a putt or whatever. And I went, oh, my goodness, what do I have here? You know, because Dave might have a 40, 50-foot putt. And if he didn't make it, the opposing team thought he might. So that was a great uh, weapon we had there, even if he didn't make it. they, You know, in match play, that that's a great weapon. And and uh, I, t I remember I used to quote 
I felt like as we got, I saw a great day was putting. I felt like I had the guns of Navarone on my team. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, uh, oh my goodness. And so, well, yeah, yeah, the course was, remember, we played a shorter version of the course because they shortened it up for the TV and for the matches a uh, little bit, didn't they? Uh, I mean, it didn't seem very short to me. It might have been. <laughs> <laughs> so that no. was was that the, the year that you came back from St. Andrews to play the first match. Was that the um, the first year you won together as a team? We never, yeah, we never lost a match in our first eight matches. We won the first year four and zero, and the second year four and zero, and then finally lost in the semis the the following the next two years, as I remember it. So yeah, the, the first one was you played in the fall of 68 and it aired in the um, winter of 69 or do you, was that uh, played in 67 and aired in 68? I don't know. It's so I'm, confusing. <laughs> played it in 67 and it was aired in 68. Okay. And then we okay. played and it was aired in 69. Okay. Who did you beat in that final match in, in the 68 airing show? The one that you played in 67 when you came okay. back from St. Andrews. Well, one of the two I know was Cootie and, and Art Wall because we got a picture of Alan and I smiling like hell with our big trophies and they're sitting there like they got shot. <laughs> <laughs> and do you remember the, the second time you won who you beat in the finals? I think we beat Bob Lunn and George Archer. Archer, that was it. Yeah. Boy, that must have been a great putting around then. Well, it was, except for they screwed up on 17. I don't remember which one it was. It was probably Archer, because he would usually make the decisions. But they had a putt from about three foot on 17, and the other putt was 10. So they decided to try the three first, and they missed it. Uh, remember that, Alan? No. Well, it's coming back to me. You're reminding me of stuff like that. Uh, they all the matches all kind of run together after a while. Sure. Yeah. The, the other the other thing that I laughed was funny as hell was the all time best is that I got out drove on on nine by about fifty yards by Weisskopf playing with huh. Tommy Bolt, and Tommy Bolt was more of my pace back in the back. But Weisskopf's down there a hundred miles, but Weisskopf <laughs> idle was an idol. Bolt was his idol, and he gets down there and Bolt walks up to him. And he's he's. <laughs> He's, he's talking to Tommy, explaining to him how he ought to hit the shot to the ninth That's green. Right. I, I didn't even know there was a fountain up by the clubhouse, 30 yards over the green. And Weisskopf hits his shot, and he puts it in the fountain. And <laughs> folks muttering and swearing about these whippy-wristed college kids and all this stuff. And I'm laughing. Bro. They got no chance. I forgot we played Bolton Weisskopf. That was a funny match. You're right. Something on the ninth hole there. Uh, yeah, White Scott. Yeah. Well, they were only they were only one down at the time, and he puts it in the friggin' fountain. <laughs> Bolt Bolt did not have a good lunch. He was not a happy camper. They had no chance after that hole. <laughs> That's great. Um, the other, the only other thing that I hated about the CBS Golf Classic. I'm playing with a guy that's got the perfect swing. So usually on 12, the par three, Trakenian thinks that's about time that he's going to show, you know, our swings, right? Well, Alan gets up and makes his swing, and it's, you know, he usually hits second. I usually hit first because I knew I could count on what he, where he's going to put it. And then they show his swing, and then they show my swing, right? <laughs> and Trakenian, God bless him would always show my fancy footwork and it, the grass, <laughs> yeah and i would just rip the grass up as i'm 
flailing across at the ball and across the tee and everything. Alan thought that was so funny. And yeah, Dave took a divot with his feet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's spinning, you're spinning. Right up. Huh? Now, now it's time for my dog to make my <laughs> Well, um, one of the things about the film that I have of that final with uh, Tony Lima is that it was a blowout. Uh, Devlin and Charles uh, just made everything on the greens. So I think that final match finished on the 13th hole, uh, <laughs> which wasn't compelling television. Uh, how close were your final matches? Now, well, wait, Dave, yeah. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Our final match, the first year, who did we play, Dave? I can't remember. I, I think Archer. I think the first one was against Cootie and, and, and uh, Art oh. Wall. Art Wall, okay. And I, I think the other was Archer and Lund. Yeah. So how close okay. were those matches? Uh, well, I know the Archer and Lund went to set 18 because we – because they screwed up on 17 there or, you know, they thought they were going to actually ended up losing the hole and then losing the whole thing. I think on 18, both of them were, think we're close, but yeah. But like we said, I mean, like I said, I know for a fact, we went eight and no, we won all our first eight matches in a row. Alan, Alan's I'm sure hadn't told the best story. One of the best stories, like my, my coming from the Alcan to play the first. Time. Well, at some point during the second year, second matches i'm on the first tee for our first match and we got five minutes to tee off and nobody's seen guy burger <laughs> and he's he's flown in he's flown in and forgot to change his clock and in those days they didn't change automatically yeah i'm driving behind the first tee i didn't think he was gonna make it <laughs> and he still he still got there in time to tee off with me. I thought I was going to play a few holes by myself. You remember, Alan? Now, which year was that? I think it was the first match of the second year. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because I know it was the first match because you hadn't changed your clock yet. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> now, Mr. Geiberger, when we spoke before, you told me about uh, a match that your friend was watching, and he turned it off early because he thought that you were going to lose. Can you... Go back over that story no, for us. No, this is what. Have you ever had uh, somebody tell you about a, a football game or something that, that was played earlier and you wanted to go, you you taped it or something, and, and then somebody said, oh, oh, so-and-so gets beat. And, and so then you sit down and go home and watch it, and and they didn't get beat. So you, all whole game you're trying to figure out how they get beat. And then you find out you got the wrong information. Well, this happened with me. A guy said, you wouldn't believe what happened. He said, I love those CBS golf classics, you and Dave. And he said, I was getting ready. My friends wanted to play one weekend. And and uh, I said, no, I want to watch CBS golf classics. So Dave and I must have been getting into the semis. Might not have been the finals of one of the years. And, and, and his friend said, Oh, they get beat today. Because remember, these are in, they film them and then they show them, what, three, four months later, Dave? Something like that. Yeah, because they. Later, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, it was, you know, pretty quiet by about anybody knowing anything. So anyway, this guy said, Oh, no, they get beat today. And and the guy said, I want to watch them anyway. I don't remember who it was, but he said, So he's, he's watching, watching it. 
And Dave and I start out, we're doing pretty well, and we're one up, and then we're two up, and then we're three up, and then we might have gone to four up. And he's going, what the hell? How did they lose this match? And we're on the backside there, and now there's only like uh, five holes to play, maybe six, four, uh, five or six holes left. And we're like four up, and he's going, now he's really starting to wonder, how they, how, they must fall apart. So we'd lose one hole, and he'd say, okay, I can see now what cap might happen. And now it's getting closer to the end of the match. <laughs> and and it gets down to the end, and we win, uh, we lose the last hole, and we go overtime. So he goes, now I know what happens. They lose an overtime. So we go over to the overtime first hole. Um, do you remember who we went overtime with, Dave? Does that? I, I, I don't. I don't. I just I don't never... either, but... The way it played out, everybody's chipping up to the green, missing, chipping down. And it gets down to where this guy's going, how does they, how do they lose this overtime match? And then I chip it in from just the pin was near the back of the green. I was just over the edge and I chipped it in. And he re- the guy, and we win. And the guy realizes he had the wrong information. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> But the way it played out of the rest of the players, I tipped it in, and we win. And the, <laughs> and the guy's figuring, I must tip it by. We go to the next hole. You know, he's got all these scenarios because he, geez, he was told we lost. Anyway, that, uh, I've, I've had that happen with a few other sporting events where you get misinformation. Or you, <laughs> but that was classic. We'll be back after this short break to resume our conversation with Dave Stockton and Al Guyberger. The story that uncorked the life and times of Champagne Tony Lima tells is one of perseverance, inspiration, dedication, and redemption. But most of all, it is a love story. Let Tony Lima tell you himself. Flirting with the idea of quitting professional golf, hadn't you? That's right, Howard. You know, I uh, I was uh, going to make sure that before I would, uh, you know, get married and things like that, I wanted to be successful at what I was doing. Uh, I fell in love just prior to the fall of 1962 when I won my first two or three tournaments, and I think that falling in love with my wife gave me just the edge that I needed to, uh, to kind of settle myself down. I think it's made a tremendous amount of difference. Stabilized it. Gave you motivation. Just goes to show you love can do anything. Yes. Even win golf tournaments. That's right. And last year you won. From the wrong side of the tracks in Oakland to the top of the professional golf world at the home of golf, St. Andrews, Tony Lima had achieved the ultimate recognition. He competed against the best players such as Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicklaus, Billy Casper, and Gary Player, and often came out on top. Larry Bosch takes you inside the Man Men era of the PGA Tour with a cast of characters from Ken Venturi and Fred Corcoran to even the Pope. Lima hobnobbed with television producers, stars of stage and screen, and even a king who had abducted his crown. He occupied a spotlight in the golden age of the PGA Tour. Read how he fought his way to the top and enjoyed the fruit of his labors before tragedy struck, bringing his starstruck career to an early end. It's all in Uncorked, The Life and Times of Champagne Tony Lima, available on Amazon, or go to tourbackspin.com for an author-signed copy.
Let's get back to our conversation with Dave Stockton and Al Geinberger. Well, we've talked a little bit about Firestone. Um, would you agree with the, the statement that um, that the redesign of Firestone by Robert Trent Jones kind of set the stage for the bridge from when the tour played some not-so-great courses to when they started playing more classic courses? Now, you're talking about Trent Jones Sr., right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because that was the... They used to play there, and it was a, and they totally rebuilt it, right? They they played the Rubber City opener. He completely redesigned Burt Way's nineteen twenty nine Firestone South. Oh, yeah, he made it the monster, Dave. Yep. Dave and I thought it was the monster. You know, two irons, three irons. Dave a little shorter, even hit a lot of woods. In woods the bar. Yeah, now the guy, now the guys hit wedges. Right. Yeah, it's a <laughs> lot different. Well. Uh, Jones talked about a hard par, but an easy bogey. Um, what was your secret to attacking a, a course like Firestone? How did you break it down? Hmm. Well, yeah, Alan, you had all the success. I didn't yeah. play city or any of that. Well, I seemed to always play pretty well. I had good results on um, long courses where a par was a par. Uh, and there we hit a lot of two irons, three irons, four irons. And uh, when I started having good finishes there, and then I won the American Golf Classic, and then came back the following year and won the PGA. And both years, I won by uh, four shots. What did I shoot? 280-something? Both years, same thing. And won by four shots. So I always seemed to do better. I, I wasn't very good on courses where you know, it had to be 18, 19, 20 under, and stuff like that. It, uh, I was a learning process. <laughs> I don't know if I ever learned it very well. <laughs> what What did you think the first time you walked up to the tee on 16, the 625-yard par 5, which was unheard of back then? Oh, uh, yeah, it's a little bit of a downhill, so, but yeah, that's, that's a great hole. Uh, you got so many different things you, you might end up doing, but you know, laying up and then uh, and a lot of stories about uh, coming in over the pond. Um, I remember one story. I was thinking I was playing in the tournament where I reached over to tap a putt back that I missed, and I came down and my putter. I just tapped on top of the ball and froze it right in the right in the green. <laughs> <laughs> I never did that again. That was but that was on sixteen. <laughs> But you know what's hard on 16? If they move the tees up, see, when they were back, we knew what we were going to do, hit it down there and lay up down there in a good position and play it that way. But remember, Dave, and the CVS, they moved the tees up, didn't they? And, and, and then we'd run down that hill. And, well, you and I probably still couldn't go for the green, but he was trying to get us to go for the green. But it's really a hard green. Yeah, we want, we, want a lot of, we want a lot of holes on right there because you know i was short enough i couldn't have gone for it at all right? <laughs> um, i don't know that i ever did well, it doesn't no, i mean yeah. it, it didn't make sense because we were both good with wedges and alan and i played two different games and that's why we actually paired together really well is that i tend to be i tend to be much more aggressive than alan is uh when we used to play in the we'd always get paired at crosby together up at pebble beach and cypress point and stuff and I mean, Alan would lay up every time on number nine, and he'd lay up on 16, which 
I didn't, I didn't want to lay up on either one of them, you know, and, but it, you know, that's why we blended so well. Cause I knew I could count on him. Like he's saying a, a hard par course, he's going to play really well on. Uh, all I care is they had 18 holes in the green. I didn't care how long it was. <laughs> I, mean, I'm, I may not hit the green, but I'm still going to get it up and down. So it ain't going to make any difference. And it's just, it was, it was fun because we're attacking it two different ways. He could, he could play his game, which tended to be more conservative than mine, and I would I would take more chances. And some of them didn't work, but he could he would back me up. But a lot of the times I could make a bunch of birdies for him too. So it uh, it was well, like I say, I had that great putter on my team. Hmm. I mean, you sitting there with your partner, think knowing that he might make any putt, twenty feet, fifteen, whatever. Every once in a while, you would blow a short one and just scare the hell out of me. So remember, you did that once. Like, well, I made I missed a few, but I I made my share. That's oh, it. you made them. Uh, the only time the only time I didn't do good is if I went five or six holes and I hadn't made one because Alan could see it was starting to eat at me because it's <laughs> okay it's okay if you're playing Houston Champions like where Orville Moody won his only open when nobody could putt because those greens were so grainy and you know uh-huh. Bermuda green. They were terrible, but you get up there at Firestone, boy, and if you miss one, it's your fault because they're, I mean, they're perfect, and that's kind of the lake effect from Chicago, from Wisconsin, Illinois, Ohio, up into uh, Pennsylvania, anything of that lake effect, we just got greens. I loved it. That was my favorite part when the tour went north. I mean, I won at Canterbury in the U.S. Senior Open, Uh, you know. I loved those greens because they were fast, they were fair. Uh, it, it, it was, I think it was, for me, it was a monster. I mean, Alan, you know, I'm always... Well, hit- and both Dave and I were not raised on Bermuda greens. And so, both coming out of Southern California, we all we knew was really them. So, that's probably a little bit of it there. took me several years to learn how to putt on Bermuda and then... Then that one day I shot that great round of golf and and it was on the worst Bermuda greens. Remember, Dave? <laughs> you think? You think? And you, and you couldn't make anything. <laughs> well, okay, I was okay, Luis. Stop. He's he's referring to when I I kind of babysat him around for for a '59 at Memphis. Right, and a lot of people don't know that that uh, that you were his playing partner. I I find that fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I, I found it really fascinating. Those, those were heavy, we, grainy greens. They were the worst. We got we got on the 10th hole, and Alan's got a 35-footer, and I've got like a 15-footer on 10. And Jerry McGee's an innocent bystander, the third in our party. And Alan holds his putt, which the entire day I didn't make that much in putts. And, and you know, <laughs> we still argue over I, how long I, it was. I three, I three putt in 15 feet. And, and I'm going, you know, it's just. If I'd have grown up in Florida, I would have been a bowler. I mean, <laughs> I, I just, you know, it just, I mean, you can't read the green. You can't, you don't know. You think it's going to die left, it'll die right. I mean, you can't. And Alan just was unconscious. And the putty made, when the putty made to shoot 59, which is, I think, one of the greatest, greatest putts I ever saw. This putt breaking to the, breaking to the right. Terribly hard putt for a right-handed player. And Into the grain. Into the well, I, who knows which way the grain's going everywhere? I don't. Well, I'm not, see, I learned. I eventually turned around and learned to become better on Bermuda because it, the grain told me something. 
and that grain was coming into me, but sideways, left to right. And, uh, you know, even if I was wrong, I thought, you know, I thought I knew something. Uh, of course, if you hold everything you're looking at before that, it, you, you have a different attitude. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> his, his still the greatest 59 ever shot, because I think that was, McGee turns to me on the on the tenth hole and he goes, "We're on number one now, to par five. and he's hit the green in two, and Alan's chipping, and I've been short of Alan. I chip up, and I talked to Jerry as Alan's getting ready to chip this thing in for for eagle, and he goes, right. he goes, you realize we just played ten holes, and Alan's been closest to the pin three times out of ten, <laughs> and we're getting beat like by five or six shots a piece, <laughs> you know." And I chipped it in there on that R R tenthole. Uh, yep. I chipped it in for an eagle, and then we go to the next hole, and I think I had like a twenty footer, and I run that in, and I look over at Dave, and I, I almost I apologized to him, like sorry, Dave, I don't know what the hell's happening. Do you remember <laughs> well, that? Right. Oh yeah. No, I remember. And then the next hole, I had about a fifteen footer or same type of putt, and hold it, like, you know, sorry guys. <laughs> Nothing to be nothing to be sorry about. Well, it's just uh, I I've heard other fifty nine rounds and guys kind of do the same thing. Like I don't know what the hell's happening here. Well, you, <laughs> no, Dave, Dave, I got you on the phone here. They what? They say we were lift cleaning in place that week, and I do not remember lift cleaning in place. Did, did yeah. we? No, it was. It, uh, was, it was lift cleaning in place. They should have blown the whole thing up. Well, of course, the fairways were good, but... Yeah, the fairways were long, and they were wet. You got mud on the ball, and, you know, but at least somehow or other, you, you did your over-moody impression and, and absolutely blew them away. You had to be the lowest number of one-putts on the greens that week for anybody. <laughs> Remember the fire that, that day that the parking lot, the catalytic converters got caught on fire? And they burned up nine or ten cars. They were all parked together and, and locked. So, oh, jeez. Did the smoke no. just billow up and out on the course? We we do remember that it was very hot that day, right, Dave? <laughs> no, all I remember, all I remember is the little old lady. It looked like she'd been out of the Wendy's beef commercial. <laughs> yeah. I walked out of the scoring tent. She looks me right in the eyes because Sunny said, this must be one of the greatest days of your life. And I looked her right in the eye. I wanted to punch her. And she <laughs> Dave not- ran right over her. That's the way I picture you telling the story. Yeah. And you're headed to the locker room to get the hell out of there. And, and, and this little old lady somehow got in your way. And you practically ran her over. <laughs> Uh, Dave did not have a good day, and that's what makes the story so funny is, is how bad a day Dave had, and and mine being the opposite. Uh, was it 17 or 18 shot? 17. Oh, well. No, 18. 77. Eight, yeah, because yeah, the way the story is, when Dave is down, his voice sounds down. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, or he's real, or very up voice. And we shoot the, the 59 is done. Dave misses the cut. He rushes back to the motel, get your stuff, don't you, and head to the airport. Yeah. And then it's the airport and you call Kathy. Yeah. And this is Kathy telling me the story because she said, <laughs> she said, 
you called her and what she heard was hi Kathy. Real real <laughs> down down hi Kathy. And she went, Oh honey, you missed the cut, didn't you? And he goes, Yeah and and she said, oh, don't worry about it. She said she started trying to cheer him up because wasn't the next week the U.S. Open? Uh, yeah, next week to Tulsa. Yeah. And you and you had won at Tulsa before. So I think the way she told me the story was, go on over early to Tulsa. That's your course. You won the U.S. Open. She's trying to cheer him up the whole time. <laughs> and then she gets to the whole conversation and, and – uh, he goes, oh, oh, you were playing with Alan. How did he play? And Dave, I can't even say it. He goes, 59. And she said, oh, 69? No, 59. She said, he beat me by 18 shots. I called it 59. She said, 59 what? I said, no, he shot 59. You know, yeah, it was. And it this was low, low voice that I'm sure she could hardly hear no, 59. He beat me by 18 shots or something. Anyway, I could just see Dave at the airport when he used to use phones that, you know, he had to put coins in and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. Right. And he's, he's getting his, he's already getting ready to leave. <laughs> but that was coming from Dave's wife, Kathy. That was so funny to hear that. Now, you both uh, played. Uh, represented Spalding. Um, can you talk a little bit about the place that they uh, occupied in that era as one of the leading uh, golf equipment manufacturers? Well, you know, I'm again from my point of view, I just followed what Alan. If Alan just put joy out, <laughs> he's with Spalding, so I got with Spalding, and he's with Munsingware, so I got with Munsingware. Right? <laughs> you know, the the Spalding, as far as I was concerned, they made. Un unbelievably good irons. You had to work hard to find the woods you wanted because the woods weren't of the same quality in my, at least for me, as, as the irons were. Um, but, uh, no, I, I don't know about Alan. I was at Spalding 19 years, and John St. Clair was a master master back in Chicopee, Massachusetts, putting the club yeah. together for us. And uh, we didn't know it. You see, I was with them from 60 to uh, 240. 44 years or some ridiculous number. Uh, but I didn't realize how innovative they were. They kept coming up with things that Dave and I probably would criticize them. But they, it turned out they were way ahead of their time in certain areas. Not, not in paying. And what? And not in paying the players. They weren't available. <laughs> no, they didn't. No. They, they weren't way ahead. No. Uh, no, they were they were they created a lot of uh, innovative stuff. And Dave, uh, remember the when they came to us, the, the executive iron. Remember, it was the first cavity back iron. They they made a prototype. And they brought it to us. Uh, I think I just remember seeing it at Pleasant Valley or something. And they and this thing was a cavity back. It was low profile, and it looked like they made it with a uh, a hammer, a ball peen hammer, and beat the hell out of it, a caveman club or something. And I'm going, oh my God, you know, Spalding, I'm thinking to myself, Spalding has such great irons, you know, the 16th Pro and all those numbers. And, right. And they come up with this, uh, wasn't even chrome, it was, uh, it must have been 
maybe investment caps. I don't know. Uh, and it was so ugly. And yet they came, then they sure listened to me because they came right out on the market with it and it turned out to be their all time best selling club because mm -hmm. it was low profile, weight low, cavity back, ugly. Remember it had executive kind of in the back of it. You remember that day? Yeah. I've got, I've got a set of them out in the garage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what I, I, I do remember what they did was the ball because at the time we played and played our best, Spalding, the Spalding dot was a clear winner. If, 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 if you could buy a dozen, you would get them to use them. I mean, we were on the staff, so we got the Spalding dot and all of a sudden they come out with the top flight. And after the executive irons, that's why they, and all of a sudden the irons became top flight. You remember, Alan? Yeah, I guess they did. Well, they, they mixed them up. They did everything. Yeah. Yeah. But we we're, we're, oh, test yeah, yeah. we're testing no. the top flight. Yeah. And it's comical because Alan had asked him on a scale of one to 10, what did this particular ball feel like? And it was comical because some of these tests, Alan's saying it's a one and I'm saying it's a 10. <laughs> and I, you know, so we, we're giving them our honest information. And all I know is I found a top flight that I used for four years till I lost it, including <laughs> winning the second PGA. When I, I had this top flight that I could hit the ball 200. And I hit a three iron 190 yards and I could hit yeah. this flight easily 230. Yeah. Same ball. I used that thing so long it turned gray and I'd only use it. I used, <laughs> I used it on the 16th hole when I won the, the PGA Congressional. Because it was a par, it was a par three, two thirty or two thirty five, and I I had to hit a three wood, but with this top flight I could hit the three iron. I hit the I, I, small green, I hit the green all four days. But then I'm really working hard to two putt because it's like putting a ball bearing. It didn't. <laughs> yeah, see, people don't realize Spalding invented the the solid ball. Then um, Molotar, what was his name? Molotar, yeah. Yep. Yeah, he invented the solid ball, and and they they weren't sure about it, so they called it top flight. So that way, if it didn't work, they could just pull the name off. And and Spalding never got the real credit of the name top flight. Top flight name became almost bigger than Spalding. I would quiz people of you know uh, who makes top flight. You know, um, top flight. No, Spalding. <laughs> that was, but that was through. They were inventing all those different things, and one of the main thing was was that solid ball. And we even know the name, right? Molotar. Yeah, David, Molotar. Uh, the guy himself. They, but what Dave is telling you about changing balls, I had one. Everybody, I guess we're all doing it. Nobody, I don't remember everybody telling everybody we we're doing it, but everybody would have their favorite top lights that they trusted, the ball, and they. And I had mine, and it, you said yours turned gray, mine turned yellow. <laughs> As I remember. And I won Greensboro one year in 1976, and we were at Sedgefield. You remember that, Dave? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Remember the 16th hole, part three? Part three, that small green and a little bitty creek on both sides. Yeah. Uh, the creek went all the way around it, down the left, across the front, down the right, and we're up on the hill. And I'm leading the tournament. I'm playing with Trevino. I got a chance to win. And I get up there in the w freezing cold, 
and the wind's blowing at me, and I I would have to hit a low three wood or something ridiculous yeah. that right. you, your odds of hitting. And I reach in my bag and pull out my top flight ball, and I reach over and grab my one of my uh, two or three iron, whatever it is, two iron probably, and I just hit this bullet down there. Just I didn't even have to try and hit it low. <laughs> just hit the top side, boom, right in the middle of the green and hold. Then I hold the putt. I think that put me one ahead of Trevino, and I end up beating him. So. <laughs> That's great. And so we all had those little, we had that one ball we kept in our bag. That Dave was telling you about. That's, that was, uh... that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, uh, I, I was lucky enough to study under Carl Welty, and one day he saw me in the clubhouse looking at an old, at a golf magazine and looking at one of those tips that were just uh, drawings, and he said, don't ever look at just drawings. Look at pictures. Did you either of you <laughs> remember Carl Welty? Sure. Yeah. 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 With the, the golf yeah. lab at uh, La Costa? Right. Yeah. Yep. All right. Yeah. yeah. Don't ever look at the look at pictures because Dave and I came up. We were lucky that uh, talking about pictures changed subject a little bit. But uh, Chuck Brinkus, and he was a photographer in L.A. and he he built a high speed camera. Do you remember that, Dave? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he built this high speed camera with a motor on it so it would go high speed. And it was all handmade. And he, he made, he got, he has all the, uh, one of some of the early sequence pictures ever taken because he would get anybody coming down the road, try and get them so he'd have them, uh, you know, for the future. And it turned out the magazines, everybody would go to Chuck Brinkus. To get their material, and uh, especially after he died, but we we happen to know him. He's from L.A. He was an engineer at uh, some one of the airline companies that build airlines. I don't know which one or something like that. He was an engineer, but a golf good golfer, and and he started creating because we all wanted to see our golf swings, but we didn't have cameras. You know, camera take one frame, two frames, whatever. And he built this thing with a motor. Speak for yourself, Alan. We all wanted to see our swings. (laughs) I didn't. (laughs) Everybody, everybody wanted to see your swing and Littler's swing. You know, this was he had a motor and a box, and he had to get power from the clubhouse out to the range (laughs) or whatever to run this motor and hook to the camera. And in there was I don't know how much film because. He was started running and faster and faster, and the film was going through there faster, and you almost felt like you had to swing faster. You're wasting <laughs> film, and then the thing would backlight yeah. and he'd blow the whole thing, and he had to pull all the film out uh, <laughs> and reload it. But he was an innovator in that uh, he, that he built it himself. It wasn't. Uh, uh, I don't even know what he called it, but his name is Chuck Brinkus. B R I N K U S, I believe, right, yeah. Dave? Yeah, that's right. And that's... we knew him from from USC days, L.A., and he was a good player, so he knew what he was doing. I would then he would he would take those pictures, and if he wanted a certain position, like uh, David Impact or David at the top of the swing, uh, everybody at the top of the swing, everybody at Impact or, or the grip, he could he could 
pull one frame out of all that stuff that he had, and he would make a, a collage, you might say, of everybody's grip or everybody's impact or or their finish or whatever it is. Wow. And he was kind of the innovator of of uh, the analyzation of the golf swing through camera work. Now yeah. was uh, and I used to go to him. He I would listen to him more than anybody on my golf swing because I knew he knew what it really looked like. Mm-hmm. We all thought we knew, but we only could see with the naked eye. He he had it right down. No, here's so and so's picture. He'd show me this picture, and I was he was a great guy. He was one of the great guys we. We came through like spalding, venting all these different stuff, and we didn't know it was just some good, some bad. We we came up in a great time in a way that way. Uh, Mr. Stockton, I'd like to ask you. Uh, you belong to a very elite, uh, small numbered group, and that would be people that have finished second in the Masters without getting a green jacket. Can you talk about <laughs> the year that you finished second to Gary Player? The feelings, yeah, the, the uh, feelings that you must have had, you know, if they come so close to a green jacket. Well, it, you know, yeah, it, it was obviously just it was great to end up second. It was great to get that close, but it it's one of the one tournament, two tournaments I never was able to win. The one at Pebble Beach, which is my favorite course, and the other one that would be the Masters because I, I, you know, it, it wasn't for the reason people would expect. I, I would love to have won that just to be able to be a fly on the wall on the Tuesday night dinner when your past champions get in there and talk, yeah. especially in the year that if, if Alan and I had won it in the 60s, let's say, and Hogan and Sneed and Demerit and Nelson and all these guys would still be there and talking, it would have oh, it, wow. it would have just meant tons. And it, It's a total different feeling because the PGA has a past champions dinner that went to hell because when we won it and I got to join Alan, uh, you know the it was great. We even had a dinner the same night for the wives. They're in a different room, but we get up there and they're telling stories, and it was a very meaningful time. And I at Augusta, the other thing for me is I love going down on the par three course and fishing. I mean, you get these <laughs> tea times at two o'clock, and you're waking up at six a.m. in the morning. You can't, you know, what in the hell do you do for that long to keep them going out of your mind? And I just fishing rod in my caddy and go down there and catch fish, and then give them to the caddies for them to have a fish fry so that's the backdrop to me coming up there in 74 and playing well playing very well because i'd already won the la open at riviera that year beating sneed in in february one of my favorite stories yeah and uh (laughs) and so i i I get there and i'm I'm playing quite well and i i have a two-shot or three-shot lead going into 18 but it was one of the 74 was probably the slowest I ever saw the greens at Augusta, and I don't know why, but which doesn't favor me because, like, Firestone Green, I like fast greens. And, and Augusta had slope, and the reason they can't get them real fast is just obviously the slope and, and what they have on them. Uh, but it's the only defense because, to me, it was the most fun major to play because unlike the, the PGA, which I think is the fairest one, basically, and well set up, the U.S. Open, they, they want you to shoot a 1,000 if you can. And they, you know, I have never played a U.S. Open that I really enjoyed. Uh, <laughs> it's the British Open, I only played a couple of times because it was a long ways to go and the kids were too young at that point. But at Augusta, we play the same course. You know what to expect. There's no trouble. 
a lot of people have trouble on the greens, but that was not where I normally would have had trouble. But this particular year, I go into the after the round on Saturday. I go in, I do the press conference with all this stuff. Lasts about an hour. I come out and it's dark, and I had meant to put a little more, another strip or two strips of lead tape on my Ray Cook putter. Miracle, was, miracle tape. <laughs> yeah, light, 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 light putter to begin with, but I was going to put it on. Well. I am on the fifth green with player on Sunday, and I realized I forgot to put the tape on. And when he birdies nine, and I, I had a two-shot lead, when I when I three-putt nine, he birdies nine, and I go from one up to one down. I've hit every fairway, every green, and I've had 19 putts. And yeah. I just, you know, it just made me sick because I knew I'd screwed up. And we just stayed that way the whole way. Uh, I he he hit a shot which I still can't believe, and he won't acknowledge. He pushed it to the right in the trees, not where Mickelson was on 13, but he was back there. And I pulled it by mistake with a driver, and I've got 180 yards to pin. I never hit it that far in my life on the hole. And I'm one shot behind, and I see him pull out of wood. And I'm going, what in the hell he's doing? He's got to be 220 even get over the water. You know? so which hole, son? 13, par 5. Oh, okay. And I'm going, I'm going to win this tournament right here. And he hits this three wood. It doesn't get very high. And he pulls it. And it bounces short of the creek, bounces on the bridge, and bounces into the bunker. And I hit this four iron, and the four iron literally stayed. I had about a 15-foot eagle putt. From above the hole, the pins on the right, but it came off the hill like it always does when it's you know slick like it would now. It come right down to the hole. He blasts out and he gets about a foot inside of me, and I leave my 15 footer. And Alan will tell you I don't leave anything short. I leave it about six inches short and I tap it in and player makes it. Uh-huh. And we we go around we tie tie so we tied there tied 14 tied 15 get up on 16. He leaves it like 30 feet short, and I put it about eight feet behind the hole. And even looking at the replay of this, I don't know how the ball missed, but I do. And I saw we're tied, and then on 17, he hits it stiff, about three inches. So now I'm two down with one to go, and he puts it on the back of the guy. I outdrove him. He puts it on the back of the green, and I push it to the right where Arnold lost when player won his first time. It's amazing what goes through your mind. Arnold sculled the trap shot over the green, and he lost mm-hmm. the player. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking he's in the back of the green, and I'm in far enough in this bunker. I've got to play before he does. I said, if I sink this, we'll see how good he is at two-putting on the top of that green on 18. Then I literally lipped it out, uh-huh. and he promptly two-putted, and I lost by two. So I walk off, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pleased I played that well. I'm mad at myself because I. I should have remembered to put the tape on the putter, which I didn't. Uh, but it was, you know, we, I got to go in. I never knew they had a party afterwards. I got to go in. We had dinner with Player and stuff and his family and our friends there. A beautiful dinner. And uh, it's frustrating because I, I got about everything you could get at Augusta. I've got the, I won the par three contest. Uh, second in the regular part. Did everything but win. So hmm. uh, it was unfortunate, but it, it I mean, it led led to a great year for me. I mean, I finished second. I finished. I beat Sam Seed again at Quad Cities in the last tournament. He led. I shot 66 in the last round. 
and then went on and won the Sammy Davis Jr. Hartford that year. So, and you think golf hadn't changed. Uh, I, I, I finished sixth on the money list with $160,000, basically, <laughs> with three wins and a second at Augusta. You know, that'd be a $5 million year yeah, now. Yeah, no but kidding. I, Alan, you'll, you'll laugh at this. When I, when we, I finished second to you at, at, at Colonial when you won the tournament players. Yeah. Right? Right, I got $50,000. Okay. And it, it was comical because because I, I called, uh, who finished second this from India? Uh, <laughs> Anurban Lahiri finished second this year. Did you yeah. see what he made? Yeah. <laughs> huh? Yeah, he made, he made, he made $2.2 .2 <laughs> I think I made 22000 for second this year. <laughs> Something like that, you know. Yeah, and I made fifty, and the winners of players this year got uh, three point four. Three point oh four million. <laughs> yeah, amazing. <laughs> uh, as, as you and player walked off that final green, uh, you were you had your arms around each other. Do you remember what was said? Uh, not really. I just congratulate him. He, he's, you know, obviously you're playing one of the greats of the game. Uh, you're playing the golf course, not him, but obviously, you know, you're watching what he's doing. I, I was just in the bottom of my stomach. I was sick. The fact that I, let's say I had put that lead tape on the, I would like to think in my mind I was playing good enough. I mean, I, I the whole day I only missed like two greens. And, you know, for me, I just played a splendid round of golf, but I couldn't, I couldn't make anything. Yeah. You, and, you could not buy a putt in that final round. That's for sure. That's, no. You know what? I don't have anything to talk about. I'm playing well at the Masters because I never did. <laughs> well, that that gets back to like what when Alan would tutor me, and I I won Colonial, and I take full credit for all the money Alan won at Colonial after that because he's going, well, God Almighty, he didn't even have a clue that I could possibly win that tournament. <laughs> you know, in fact, I was so focused that first year at Colonial, I didn't even know there was a there was water to the right at number 11, the par five. I mean, I'd hit my short driver, and then I'd hit the driver off the ground, and I'd run it up by the green. And I'm in the second year. I'm playing and come back as defending champion, and I wing one to the right, and I'm going, oh, my God, I didn't even know this was down here, you know. <laughs> had had no idea. It just, uh, and then, Alan, and then he, Alan turned around. I think Alan's winning of the, of the player's championship there is the greatest because he had like a – and his his pro am round was a sixty three or yeah. two. Yeah. 60, I mean, he he played unbelievable. That was and, that was uh, the tournament where you said, "I don't know what else taken, but I got to get some of it." Did you say something like that? <laughs> oh, oh, I was drinking because Gatorade came out. Does that make sense? <laughs> Gatorade Gatorade came out when I won the PGA at Southern Hills, which I'll be going to here uh, shortly. Uh, yeah. He, uh, that, that's where they came out. I drank that every third, every third hole. I drank a 10 ounce can of Gatorade. I never used a restroom the entire time I was there. <laughs> yeah. They just sweated out of you. And I think I remember when I won the players, I remember it was in August. Yep. At, at Colonial. And yep. I was drinking Gatorade because they would mix it and put it in big barrels, didn't they? And we, yes. Uh, and yep. uh, uh, that was my, my introduction. But here's one thing in the Masters. I want to tell the story because it's Dave and I. You, when you mentioned the three-par course, and Dave and I would play, we're, uh, we played together usually in the par three if we could. Yeah, absolutely. And so we go out there and we have our boys out there. We ha I had Brent, 
and you had probably Dave Jr., didn't you? Jr., yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, sure it is. Because we get around about the seventh hole, and we were uh, out of it by then, and kidding around, and we let the boys hit balls. Do you remember that? Yeah, to number nine, yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah, I guess it would be nine then. Yeah, whatever it was, we let let the boys hit, hit balls. And, uh, and then when I walked off the ninth green, some guy came up to me by the name of Cliff Roberts and mumbled in my ear, you know, because he would, he could, and he critted, he got all over me for letting our boys hit balls in the par three tournament. Did You got it too, didn't you, Dale? I no, think. no, he didn't say anything to me. I wonder, <laughs> well, anyway, I, my friend Van, you remember Van? Yeah. Uh, my friend Van said, I know it. I stood right there and watched him get in you, and it's totally unbecoming of the Augusta National. For, you know, and then uh, how many years later they started letting all the kids out there and hit balls, and it was great and all this stuff, and I got totally brought uh, criticized for it. <laughs> <laughs> just think Tiger actually plays this year. He'll probably have Sam play with him. You know what? He would probably have Sam play the par three with him. Tiger, if Tiger played, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's right. I mean, yeah, it's that's... just an evolution of, of of where it's gone. I mean, it's kind of neat to see all the stuff with the because our kids were always a part of everything. And well, seeing Dave and I, uh, we were breaking big barriers then because. You know, by like the seventh hole of the par three, if you're out of it, I think we were that year. We were kidding around, and we said, and we let we let the uh, the boys hit, and the crowd loved it. <laughs> <laughs> but I got criticized by Cliff Roberts, <laughs> and I have a witness. <laughs> That's great. Real quick story, real quick. I got in the playoff the year that I won, and then the three of us in the playoff was. Weisskopf and Orville Moody and myself, we shot 23, which wasn't a great score, but we were four under. And we get up on the first hole with 50,000, well, not 50,000, 15,000 people probably around that 80-yard hole or so. And I'm looking out there, and I turn to Weisskopf. I said, this is the pits getting this nervous before the match, you know, the match <laughs> start. And he looks me in the eye. He says, you're nervous? Like that, right? Well, he got the first shot, right? He had one of the most spectacular shanks I've ever seen. <laughs> he so high and so fast, he didn't come close to hitting anybody. He carried everybody, right? Now, this is Weisskopf, you said? Yeah, past me. I can see Weisskopf standing very tall, looking down at you. Yeah. Going, you're nervous? Spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> he walks back, he walked right by me. I said, Tom, that was a really good shot for not being nervous. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Okay, I really appreciate the time today, guys. It was uh, very fun, very illuminating. Um, I think it's going to make an interesting podcast. Dave and I could, Dave and I could go on for hours. <laughs> I, I may want to call you back and do a, a volume two. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, thank yeah, you, Larry. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, talking to you. Take care, okay? Thanks again, you guys. The Tour Backspin Show is written and produced by Larry Bosch. Our theme music is by a band called Crowander, and it's called Whiskey. Be sure to check out the Tour Backspin newsletter on Substack, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. 
Join us next week when we have a reservation for a tea time.